Alex is a heritage student, uh, and he is he's entering his uh, second year, but um, you would never think he's just entering his second year. So, um, and so I've read over his manuscript. I'm excited to hear it, even though I've heard it again in word form and well, actually in verbal form when he preached it to me, kind of already. And uh, it it is solid. And uh, I am so proud of Alex and where God has taken him. And he is quite a preacher. And after hearing this, I might be shaking because this church might want a new preacher <laughs> after today. <laughs> now that I put the expectations super high. Oh man. Well, not oh, really, because it's just Yikes. compared to me. But um, um, uh, we're really excited to hear what <coughs> God has laid on Alex's heart. He's been working hard on this. And um, so let me pray for him before he begins. God in heaven, we, uh, we pray for Alex. But more, more primarily, we pray for us as we hear this. Uh, you've already been working in Alex's heart to give him these words, to give him this message, and and to apply it into his life. And now, as he communicates, God, I pray that what you have done in Alex's life with, through these words, I pray that you would now do in ours. That we would wrestle with these words, that we would believe these words, and that we would hear, mo most importantly, from you. And so, God, I pray that we would exit this place a changed person from when we came into it, that we would be empowered to continue to preach the gospel to the people around us because when people hear the gospel, something miraculous takes place in their lives mm -hmm. that would never take place if they never got the opportunity to hear it. So God, I pray that Alex would share and that the, the spirit of God, as we've been singing about all service long, would, pre would, would speak through him mm -hmm. uh, uh, in every word that he says. We love you. Pray for all these things in your name. Amen. 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 Am I on? Yeah? Okay, sweet. Um, yeah, thank you, Aaron. Really appreciate that. Uh, so just to recap, as, as we've been going through this series, um, as we've been exploring what it means to talk with others about Jesus in personal evangelism, which is what we call talking with others about Jesus, the first week, the first thing that we learned is that personal evangelism springs from affection for Jesus. That any and every attempt in sharing the gospel must first come from an overflow of love of Christ as our treasure and a desire to see others have that same treasure. That's the first thing that we talked about. We talked about two weeks ago when Brad was speaking what it means to be sent to do this work. That to be sent means to have heaven's peace and to go in heaven's peace. Because if we're honest, like evangelism is a daunting thing. Talking with others about Jesus can be quite scary. But knowing that Jesus is alive and is king gives us the peace and confidence to go with boldness, to proclaim this message of peace. And, and this going with boldness, this great work of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth begins by telling one person. And that's why we've called this series, Who's Your One? Because we as a church are being challenged to go and tell the gospel of peace to one person in our lives who doesn't know Jesus yet. Last week, we talked about what it means to actually speak the good news, what we call preaching the gospel, and how we're not only called to live out the gospel, but we are also called to tell others about it. We are called not only to live out our faith, but to tell others about it. And so this week, like Aaron said, we're going to be moving to the logical next step of, of what it means to hear the gospel on the end of the person who doesn't know Jesus. 
Now, now, if we're honest, when we're talking about hearing the gospel, we don't really consider it when we're doing evangelism, when we're telling others about Jesus. Like, what, what we're hoping for is that when we tell somebody about Jesus, they'll, they'll automatically just believe the words we're telling them, that they don't have, have to necessarily think about it, that we'll tell them the words and then they believe. But we're hoping that we, they will hear the the way that we as Christians hear it and then give their lives to Jesus right away. That's what we're hoping for. It reminds me a little bit of, of the so- Christmas song do you, by Bing Crosby, Do You Hear What I Hear? Now, you probably don't want to hear about Christmas right now because we don't want to think about the snow and it's the middle of summer and it's really nice outside today, actually. I love the weather outside today. But, but the song, Do You Hear What I Hear, it's basically a picture of this person experiencing all the really awesome, great Christmas moments. You know, you have the, the star over Bethlehem uh, pointing to where Jesus was going to be born. You have the angels in the sky telling the shepherds by night that the Messiah is coming. You have little baby Jesus born in his manger with the three kings giving him gifts. And, and the singer is asking the question, do you hear what I hear? Essentially what he's asking is, are you experiencing this momentous, important occasion the way that I'm experiencing it? And we do the same thing in telling others about Jesus when we do evangelism. When when we're talking about the gospel, we want the people who are listening to us present it to experience new life the way that we have experienced it immediately. We want them to hear what we hear when we hear the good news of Jesus. That's what we're hoping for. And and often it it plays itself out in a variety of different ways, but the most common way that we do this, the most common way that we try to get people to hear what we hear is, is, and I'll just use an example from my life. Um, When I try to tell my unsafe friends or unsafe coworkers Jesus, I, I feel this pressure to present the gospel in the most attractive way possible. It's as if the only way that, that the person I'm talking with is going to hear and understand and believe what I'm saying is by how attractive I make following Jesus look like. And, and maybe you've felt that pressure too. It's not like that comes from a bad motive. We're, we're, none of us here, I can tell, are trying to deceive people and trying to become a Christian. We, we want to have want to give them the gift of, of knowing Jesus and having joy forever. That's not a bad motive. We all try our own, our own ways, however, in our human effort to make this message more attractive or appealing. You know, maybe we'll water down something that seems offensive, an offensive component of the gospel, and, and we'll instead we'll emphasize the, the love and the grace of God uh, revealed in Jesus. And even in about sharing about our lives, I've noticed that whenever we do, whenever I do this, at least with unbelievers, I'll skip over the really rough parts of what it means to be a Christian, really dark, messy areas of my life in terms of what it means to be Christian, and then make it seem like my relationship with God is just all coming up roses. But for most of us here, we know that really isn't the case. The issue, however, is not with the love and the grace of God. That's not what I'm getting at. The issue is not that we may choose to focus on the good things that God is doing in our life. That's not the issue here. We should focus on those things, those good things, but not without the proper perspective. 
You see, the reason why the love and the grace and mercy of God are so amazing and the reason why we can boast about what God is doing in our lives is because we have been given these things in spite of the fact that we have sinned, we have failed God, and therefore don't deserve anything from him. Again, we're not trying to be deceptive or trying to paint a false picture of what Christianity is, but we're all still somehow concerned with this. For some reason, we are still concerned with how attractive the gospel looks to unbelievers. And as I was thinking of why we do this, I had to do a little bit of a heart check here. I've I kind of come to the conclusion that the reason why we try to make our gospel presentation so appealing is because we have a bit of a Messiah complex going on. We think that it is on us as Christians to get people to hear and believe the gospel. Now, now I, I want to be clear here. It's it's not necessarily, and, and we'll, we'll get to this later, it's not necessarily that we don't preach the gospel to them, but, but, but we run into this dilemma of trying to get what, what I call spiritually deaf people, because we are, telling, we are telling the gospel to people, but they are spiritually deaf. You know, deaf people, when they can, the sound waves when we talk to them can enter their ears, reverberate off their eardrums, but there's a disconnect there. There's something not connecting to their brain that, that is forcing them not to hear the words that we're telling them. And so in the same way, when we're telling the gospel to unbelievers, they can hear us say the words, Jesus has risen, and you should come and trust him for, his, for, for your forgiveness. But they don't actually hear it. There's a disconnect there. There's something not clicking. And again, we run into this dilemma of, of trying to get spiritually deaf people to hear spiritual things. And again, that can't work because deaf people don't hear anything. And then so we're left wondering, really, how do, how do we, how do you and I get our unsaved friends or, or family members or coworkers to hear the gospel in a way that makes them want to believe it? And the answer to that dilemma is that you can't do it alone. Let me be clear here. It is not decisively on you to get unbelievers to hear and believe the gospel. Yet, yes, you preach the gospel to them. We just talked about that last week. We are called to preach and live out the gospel. But other than that, it is ultimately a work of God alone that gets a person to hear and believe and understand what it means to be a Christian. It is God speaking to their hearts as you are speaking to their ears that breaks their spiritual deafness and causes them to hear the wonders of the good news. The main point of evangelism is not by your eloquence or mine. It's not by how attractive we make following Jesus. The point of evangelism is that God is speaking. That God is calling that person to come and trust his son for their forgiveness. And so the main point today, the main hope of our evangelism is this, is that spiritual deafness is broken by hearing the voice of God. And so as we go into, that me- go into this message, I want to consider two things. Firstly, what does it mean when we say that, that spiritual deafness is broken by hearing the voice of God? What does that mean and what does that entail? And secondly, How does that reality change the way we tell others about Jesus? How does that reality change the way we present the gospel? 
we'll, we'll answer those questions at the end of our message. But if you have a Bible here today, we're going to start in Romans 10, 14. Romans 10, 14. This is our main passage for, for the series of Who's Your One. We're only going to stay in Romans 10, the verse 14 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. This is the first of two passages we'll be looking at today. So look at me, if you would, at verse 14, just verse 14. It says this. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? This is the word of the Lord. So as we discuss the first week of this series, verses 14 and 15, if you reverse engineer it, kind of form this order or this chain of evangelism, if you will. You can see on the screen there that we have this order of, uh, of sending and then preaching, which we talked about last week, and then hearing, which is this week, and in the next couple weeks we'll learn about believing and calling. Th- this week, again, we're focusing on what it means to hear the gospel, but the first thing we need, need to understand when it comes to hearing the gospel is that preaching leads to hearing. This is the first thing we need to know. I get this from when Paul says in Romans 10, 14, that how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, now the point is that, like Aaron talked about last week, we are all preachers of the gospel. We as Christians are called to tell people about Jesus and, and to do so in a way that they can understand. Now, we're not just called to live out our faith. It's about telling others about it. Now, now, that may seem clear for most of us here, but I, I, I want to battle this notion because there's, this, there's two sides uh, in, into a ditch that we can fall on when we're talking about this. One of them Aaron addressed last week that we can, we, we can, we can almost just shrink away from our responsibility to tell others about Jesus. That all we do is just live out our lives, good Christian lives, and never tell anybody about the good news. Never tell anybody about Jesus. We can fall into that side, but there's another side where, where we begin to force belief people. And I, I got to say this so we're all on the same pr- page here. It is, it's not your responsibility to make someone believe the gospel. We, we aren't trying to shove Jesus down people's throats. Now, again, to clarify, we are called to tell people the gospel. That is something we are supposed to do. And we are called to do so in a way that, that it is easy for them to understand and we're called to, to love people the way Jesus would. But besides that, we can't do anything to force them to believe. Now, it's as if Aaron over here were dead. Now, I'm glad, now, I'm glad that Aaron is not dead because he's a great guy. Um, but let, let's just as, assume for the sake of the illustration that Aaron here is dead. You know, I can do a whole lot of things to try to make Aaron come back to life. I, I can do CPR. I, I can even try mouth-to-mouth, though. That would be kind of weird. Aaron agrees. Uh, I, I, can, like, I can go onto his dead body, try to make his limbs move or something. But really, I can't do anything. I can try, like, telling Aaron to come back to life. But that wouldn't work because I'm finite in my power. I, I can't just make a dead person come alive. That's not my thing. That's not my responsibility. Now, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that before coming to Jesus, before being Christians, all of us here are spiritually dead. And so that makes the aim of our presentation of the gospel 
to make dead people come to life. But, but we just talked about we, we, can't, we can't do that per se because on a human level, it's completely impossible to make a dead person come alive. And so there must be something more to the story. There has to be something happening as, as we are telling people about Jesus that is making them spiritually alive, that is breaking through their spiritual deafness and is causing them to want to believe. And this is why we need to know the second part of what hearing the gospel entails, hearing God's voice. So we know that, that preaching leads to hearing, but we also need to know that hearing leads to believing. I get this from when Paul says in, in Romans ten fourteen again, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? You can see there that belief comes from hearing the gospel. Now, you can, if you go down a few verses to Romans 10, 17, look at there with me. Romans 10, 17 says this. It says, faith comes from hearing, or belief comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. Now, we have, we have to stop here and just dissect that. So, faith comes from hearing, but believing the gospel comes from hearing it. But we also see that this kind of hearing, the kind of hearing that makes someone want to believe, comes through the word of Christ. Now, again, we have to stop and think about that. What does the word of Christ mean? What, does, what is going on here? And as I was, I was praying and meditating and studying, studying this passage, I came to this conclusion. What, what the word of Christ is. In other words, what the word of Christ is, is that Jesus himself, by his spirit, is calling unbelievers through our presentation of the gospel to trust him for their forgiveness because he died on the cross and, and rose again. And that voice, the voice of the gospel spoken to their heart, is the, is the one that is breaking through their spiritual deafness. It's the one that is making them spiritually alive and is causing them to believe. Now, to, to illustrate that, it's like, it's like when a parent asks you to watch over their child for them while they're busy doing something. And, and, and so the child will begin to do something they know their parent won't like because the parent isn't there. And, and, and you try to tell them to stop. You say, stop, don't do that. But the child won't listen to you because you're not their parent. But as soon as the parent comes, sees what the child is doing, and says, stop, the child stops. Now, in the same way, the culmination of, of our presentation of the gospel is that we are trying to tell people to come to Jesus. That, that's what we're trying to do. We're telling people to come to Jesus to trust him for their forgiveness. But, but often, and I've experienced this, when, when we do this, it doesn't, seems to fall on, on deaf ears. It doesn't seem to land the way we want it to. But if God chooses to speak, if God chooses to, to, to speak, the willful ignorance towards the gospel and the spiritual deafness is broken. It cannot stay because it is met by the voice of God. And, and really, this, this reality that the voice of God breaks through your spiritual deafness, it changes everything when it comes to presenting the gospel. Because we understand that, that, that God is using our speaking. He is using our presentation of the gospel to get people to believe. Like, like really, God's voice is actually heard through me telling others about Jesus. 
And when I stop and think about that, when I think about that God uses my, my preaching, my presentation of the gospel to make people believe, I, I'm quite amazed, really. I, I don't really have words for it. Because if I'm honest with you, I'm not really that eloquent. Like, you've probably heard me mess up my manuscript already this sermon. And, and you've heard me stutter and stammer. And I have these moments where, where I think of what I'm, I'm going to say in a conversation. And then as soon as that conversation comes up, I try to say it, and it just doesn't come out right. And, and maybe you've had that experience too, but the point is this. We're not going to communicate things the way we want them to. You know, maybe we'll, 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 we'll use a term that the person we're talking with is, won't understand at all. Or, or, or we'll try to speak into a, a situation in the life of, of an unbeliever, and, and it just doesn't work out the way we thought it would. We're not getting the response that we thought we would. But the point and, and the hope we have is, is that it is God's voice. It is the voice of God and not my imperfect presentation of the gospel that is getting that person to come to him. It is that voice that is breaking through their spiritual deafness and is causing them to believe. Through our imperfect preaching, God is working out his perfect purposes. And as I was thinking of that, of, of how God uses my preaching for his purposes, I, I came across a story that I saw online. And, and I'll just paraphrase it for you. Essentially, it was a small town. It was the middle of winter, and a huge snowstorm went through this town. And it was a Sunday of all days, so, so the pastor got snowed in. Um, uh, the, the church, however, that local church, decided to still hold a, a service on that Sunday. Um, and, and, and all in all, they had maybe about 15 people show up. Um, they had a new visitor, a 15-year-old teenage boy, and they... And, and they had a tailor who was, who was preaching that Sunday. Now, when the tailor came up and started reading the Bible, it, you have to understand that he was uneducated. He couldn't even pronounce the words right as he was reading them. The rest, uh, the rest of the message was about 15 to 20 minutes. It was plain, short, not really eloquent, and not at all attractive in the way that we would think. Through that presentation of the gospel, as, as that preacher was, was giving the gospel invitation for those in that, in that church to, to come and trust Jesus, God was speaking to that 15-year-old that came that Sunday. And, and even though the message wasn't really that good, to be honest, that boy, God was breaking through that boy's spiritual deafness. That Sunday, that 15-year-old that came to faith in Christ. And we're in awe of that. And what's interesting is that service, that service happened in 1850. And, and, and that person who became saved, that 15-year-old who, who became a Christian that Sunday would later be called the Prince of Preachers. It's a person we now know as Charles Spurgeon. And so the point is that not... It's not that every person we tell the gospel to is going to be the next Charles Spurgeon. That's not at all what we're saying here. But, but the point is this. That God used something that was by all accounts unattractive, unappealing, quite frankly ugly, to bring a person to Jesus. So restoration, this is totally not on, on my manuscript here, but I wonder sometimes 
I, I, I have to do a hard check on this too, that if, if I'm trying to make the gospel as attractive as possible, if, if I'm just trying to, to make, make this message of Jesus more pretty so that, so that I can boost my ego, or, or, or maybe it, it's kind of like you're paying a unicorn or Mona Lisa. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. I, I wonder what would happen if we, if we got out of the way. If we got out of the way to, to let God speak. Let God do the calling and, and get that, and, and let God save that person, not you or I. And, and so we, we know that, that God's voice breaks through spiritual deafness. And it's not about how attractive we make it, but it's about God breaking through spiritual deafness. Now, you may be wondering at this point, that's, that sounds great and all, that, that story about Charles Spurgeon was really heartwarming and touching, but I, I want to know what this looks like in real life, what this looks like when I'm about to have a conversation with somebody who isn't saved. And, and I want to as well. So if you still have your Bibles open, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. Well, this, this is where we'll be for the rest of the message, um, Acts chapter 2. Just a few pages back. Now, just for some context, what's going on is that it's Pentecost. And, and the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised in the beginning in Acts chapter 1 has finally come and, and has filled the believers in the, who were in the upper room praying. And, and now, and now the, um, the believers are now on the rooftop and they are preaching the gospel. And this is the first instance of what we call speaking in tongues. Essentially, that that the gospel was presented in languages that the speakers themselves didn't even know. Imagine uh, with me for a moment that you are a person in that crowd, that you are hearing the gospel for the first time in your own language. Honestly, if if I was there, I would think that they'd be insane because I've never heard this before. I don't even know who this Jesus is. I, I don't even know what's going on. And so some people, it says in Acts 2, they thought that the believers were filled with new wine, that they were drunk. Um, and, 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 that's, and that's what's happening. And what's, what goes on is that Peter steps forward, one of the 12 apostles steps forward and begins defending what's going on, the work of the Spirit, by presenting the gospel fully and clearly in its fullness. So after, after Peter's sermon is done, after Peter presents the gospel, fully and clearly, you, you have this picture of what the response is like. So look at me, if you will, at verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, that is the crowd, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So if we want to know what the voice of God breaking spiritual deafness looks like, we have our picture here. Now, now I want to point out three things in this passage that, 
that relates to hearing the voice of God that will help us in our conversations with others about Jesus. So the first thing that I want to point out in in this passage is that that hearing the voice of God will be resisted by unbelief. Hearing the voice of God will be resisted by unbelief. I get this from verse 41, which, which says, So those who received his word were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, you may be thinking that's kind of the opposite of what the verse is saying. How can, peop- how can there be resistance by unbelief when 3,000 people get saved? Like, I can barely get one person to come out to church, much less have 3,000 people waiting to be baptized in the Grand River. Like, what we need to know, though, is that the author of Acts is more concerned with celebrating the moment. The, the author of Acts is more concerned about celebrating the beginning of the church as opposed to dampening it by the fact that there were people there who didn't get saved. Now, now we do this as a church too. Like next week, I believe, we are having our first baptisms. And it's going to be a really awesome time. And we're so excited for that. But we're not really talking about that point. There are people in Southwood, in Cambridge, who aren't saved and who aren't baptized. We're not going to talk about that as we're celebrating baptism. And and so what the author of Acts is doing is he's celebrating the moment, but he does give us a clue as to the fact that there were people there who didn't get saved. It says in verse 41 that those who received his word were baptized. So I I can take this to mean that that there were people there who heard the gospel and received that message with faith. With belief. But there were those there also who, who, heard, who were there who heard the gospel and, and, and rejected this word with unbelief. And, and we see this that this is a common experience in the people of God as we try to tell others about Jesus. Uh, Paul says in Romans 10 16, should be on the screen, but they, that is unbelievers that haven't heard the gospel, have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And again, in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, should be on the screen, it says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And watch this. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. So you can see that there's two kinds of people. That there are people who are going to hear the gospel. They're going to smell the aroma of Christ to God and think that it is life. It smells like roses and flowers and everything good in life. But there are some people who are going to hear the gospel, smell the aroma of, of Christ to God, and think that smells like death. That, that we will present the gospel to somebody and it's not going to sound attractive. It's not going to make them want to follow Jesus. And, and even... Even today, we'll, we'll come across people when, when we're telling others about Jesus and, and, and we'll, we'll realize that at some point that they just don't care. They don't care for hearing the gospel. It doesn't really matter to them. No matter how hard we try to present it in a way that is appealing. And you know, maybe it's the one person that you've chosen. It, it, it's that one person who just isn't having any of it. Maybe it's a family member who has been hostile to you since you became a Christian. Or, or maybe it's a friend or a coworker who does not like the way that you're so open with your faith. Unfortunately, that is the reality we face when, when we're telling others about Jesus regularly. 
People will not respond the way we hope. And, and it's heartbreaking. Like, a, a week ago, I think, I was at work, and I managed to get into a really good conversation with my friend at work. And what was going on and what happened was that I, I was able to present the gospel to him, and he just didn't care. Just nodded his head, kind of blank expression on his face. And the point is that my heart breaks for him. Because I know he's been burned by religion in the past, but I still want him to know this Jesus. It's not at all the way I hope things would turn out. It's not at all the way we hope things would turn out when we're telling others about Jesus. And, and so what's our hope there? What's our hope when we think that, that we're not doing anything and, and we think that God isn't even doing anything? What, what's our hope there? Our hope in those situations is this, is that God loves to intervene. I, I want to submit this to you, that God loves to save people who hate him. It, it says in verse 39 there, that this message, this promise of forgiveness is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Restoration, I want us to consider that this message is for the very person who doesn't want it who wants nothing to do with God. And maybe that, that's the situation with you and your one, that this person just doesn't want anything to do with God, doesn't want anything to do with, with a transformed life. But the hope that we can have is that even when we least expect it, even when they least expect it, God can intervene. God can still save and work a miracle when we think that all is lost. Now, it, it's like... I, I read this story online, the story of a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. And, and uh, maybe you've heard her name before, but, but she's written a book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And it's absolutely fantastic. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard it's very good. Um, but essentially, her story, you can look it up online too, is that, is that Rosaria Butterfield was an atheist professor at a secular university who thought that Christianity was pitiful and stupid. Like, if, if you want a picture of somebody who is spiritually deaf, who's repulsed by the idea of Christianity, it would be Rosaria Butterfield. But through the love she encountered in a Christian home and in a Christian church who prayed for her for 10 years, and, and through, through the gospel that she heard week in, week out when she went to, to that house, God broke through her spiritual deafness. God made her spiritually alive, and now Rosaria Butterfield is a committed follower of Christ. And, and, and she's written a couple books, and I encourage you to, to read them. But, but, but that story, the, the story of Rosaria Butterfield, is just one of many stories. Maybe the stories of those who are in here today. The stories of those who were once far off by the voice of God breaking through spiritual deafness have been drawn near, brought near to God and are now Christians. So even though we know some will hear the gospel and not believe it, we have hope that the voice of God is stronger than unbelief. That he can still work a miracle even when we least expect it. That's our hope today. And so we know this. We know that hearing the voice of God will be resisted by unbelief. That's the first thing we need to know. The second thing we need to know is that hearing the voice of God causes conviction. Now, I get this 
in verse 37 when it says that when the crowd heard the gospel message, they were cut to the heart. Now that word in Greek, it, it kind of carries this image of someone being pierced or being stabbed. It, it, it's like you're stabbing a knife in somebody's stomach and you're twisting the knife. Doesn't really feel that good, right? It's not supposed to feel good. It's supposed to express the fact that these people who were hearing the message were sorrowful. It hurt to hear what they heard. Now, th- this sorrow, th- this, this hurt that they feel is expressed in, uh, when in verse the, the apostle, or sorry, this thing is, there we go. Now, this is expressed when, when the crowd asked uh, the, the, the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You can, you can hear kind of the desperation at that point. You know, it's like they, they know that they have crucified the king of the universe. And, and, and because of that, because of that, and because this king of the universe, Jesus Christ, is now alive forever, he stands in judgment over them. And, and, and because of that, this fact weighed on them so heavily that they needed to cry out in desperation for relief. Peter... And, and the hope that they have, and the hope that we have, is that, is that they can turn and come to Jesus as their only hope of being forgiven and being given new life. That's the hope we present to them. And, and Peter himself, he, he gives them that same hope as well when he says in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Sharing bad news before sharing the good news is not easy. It's, we're not like going to pretend it is. Well, most of us here, if we're honest, try to be as loving and as gracious as we can in telling people about their sin. And that's not necessarily wrong, but at some point, at some point, it doesn't have to be right away, but at some point we have to be graciously blunt about the state of their condition. Now it's as if, to illustrate, it's as if you are a doctor telling somebody that they have cancer. Now, you're, you're going to try to say it as best as you can, and, and when you do it, you're going to pull out the charts, you're going to show them where the tumors are, and then ultimately you're going to say that you have cancer. And you're going to try to say it as hopeful as you can. You're going to say it as graciously as you can, but at some point you're not just going to skip over the fact that they have cancer. You have, they have a disease that is probably going to kill them if it isn't treated. So in this same way, we, we, when we tell people about this great news, that Jesus has come to save people from their sin, we do it knowing that it will hurt when we say it. But, but if we liken it to, to chemotherapy, it is meant to save their lives rather than to wound them further. Now, we aren't trying to expose people's sin to them so that we can boast about how morally perfect and upright we are. That's not what we're trying to do in evangelism. But what we are trying to do is expose people's sin to them so that we can point them to the one who can forgive it. And that's our hope today, that even when we feel sin, when we feel the guilt and shame that comes along with sin, we can go to the one and we can point others to the one who forgives them and washes away their guilt and shame. And so, and so we've talked about that. We've talked about hearing the voice of God, 
how it will be resisted by unbelief and how it's going to cause conviction. But ultimately, those two things point to, to the greater reality, to, to, the, to the idea and, and the fact that hearing the voice of God requires a response. Hearing the voice of God requires a response. Again, in verse 38, Peter tells the crowd to respond, tells them to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, this moment right here is so crucial to what's going on in in Acts chapter 2 because it's the moment where God's voice has broken through the spiritual deafness. That even though it, it, it was resisted by unbelief, and even though it hurt to hear, God's voice has broken through and was now calling the crowd to come and trust his son Jesus for their forgiveness. And again, in verse 40, we see that, that, that Peter continues to encourage and exhort the crowd and, and says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. You can, see, you can feel the immediacy in his voice. He doesn't want the, the crowd to push this off to another point, to maybe a day later or a week later. He wants them to respond now. So what does that look like for us? How do we get others to respond to what we are trying to tell them about the gospel? Now, I believe the best way to do this, best way to get a response from somebody is to frame your gospel presentation as an invitation to something better. To frame your gospel presentation as an invitation to something better. We can see that in both, both 30, verse 38 and 40, the way that Peter tells people to come to Jesus is commanding, but it's also inviting. You, you know, in verse 38, he, he adds on this, this almost benefit, if you will. He says, come to Jesus, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for, one, the forgiveness of your sins, and secondly, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice that it says gift in there. Not burden, not just receive the Holy Spirit, but receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, Peter it wants the crowd to have the presence of God for themselves, like we've, sing- we've been singing about today. That, that he wants, wants to have the, them to have the presence of God for themselves as a, as a gift, as be, something beneficial that is freely given to them. And we see also in verse 40 that, that he, he continued to encourage, exhort the crowd, saying, save yourselves from this crooked or, or broken generation. And restoration, I, I just have to say this. There are a lot of people in Cambridge who know there's something wrong with this world. There's something broken about the way we live. We as Christians, however, know the solution to this brokenness, to societal and inner brokenness, is by, is by submitting to the reign of Jesus and following him in every area of our lives. And that is what we are inviting our unsafe friends and family members and co-workers to. If of fullness, of wholeness and joy that the world could never offer. Now, C.S. Lewis has, has this amazing quote, and I'm sure a lot of you here have heard it before. Um, and, and he's basically talking about the fact that, that we think that our desires are so strong, that our desires for things that, that contribute to the brokenness of this world are so strong that we have to satisfy them. And so in response to this, you can see on the screen, C.S. Lewis writes this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So you see, we're, we're too easily pleased with superficial answers to our inner brokenness. Our longings for something greater are only temporarily satisfied in, in sex and pornography and gossip and relationships and overeating and anger and pride. These things are the things that fuel the fallenness of our society. And if we look around us, even in the city, we can see it every day. You know, when you're walking in downtown or walking in Riverside, you'll see the needles on the ground. And you'll wonder, what's wrong with this world? Why are people turning to something that can kill them to feel something so temporary? And we, as Christians, know the solution, but the invitation that we have is the invitation that God uses to call people to himself and satisfy their deepest longings. This is our hope, and that is what we are inviting people to. So now, I want to answer the two questions I asked at the beginning of the message. So if you remember, the, the first question we asked is, what does it mean when we say that spiritual deafness is broken by hearing the voice of God? What does that mean? The answer to that is that through us telling people the gospel, God speaks to the person and breaks through their unwillingness to believe, their spiritual deafness, and causes them to respond to Jesus in faith. Really, that is our only hope of having anyone we talk to come and trust Jesus for their salvation. And it gives us the courage and hope that in our evangelism, though it is imperfect, God is using it to bring people to himself. God is using it to, to break through spiritual deafness. And that is our hope there. And the second question I asked at the beginning of the message was how is that reality? The reality of, uh, of the spiritual deafness being broken by the voice of God, how does that change the way we present the gospel or the good news to others? Now the answer to that is that, one, we understand that some will not respond the way we want them to. Two, that we will have to say hard things that will be convicting and difficult to hear. And three, whatever way it goes, we, we offer an invitation to something better. A way that is filled with unshakable joy in knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. So, as I close, I'll invite the worship team to come back up at this point. And I, I want to close with this. You can see on the screen there, Hebrews 3.15. It says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So for people here who are unbelievers, because I recognize a lot of you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're safe. So if you are an unbeliever here today, do not harden your hearts to his voice. Jesus himself is calling you to come and trust him for your forgiveness. So do that today. It says today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So do that today. And secondly, if, if you are a believer here today, this is the message that we tell others, or we're trying to tell to others. 
that today is the day that should, they should come and trust Jesus for their salvation. We have to understand that this message is also for us as Christians too, those of us here who are Christians. We need the gospel as much as unbelievers do. We, need, we can never outgrow our need of hearing the gospel one more time. Because we too can become hard-hearted towards God and resist what he's speaking into our lives. Becoming willfully ignorant and choosing to go back to our lives of spiritual deafness. So the hope that we have for both unbelievers and believers here today. The hope we have is that Jesus Christ, who was the word of God, the one through whom God has spoken, has died to forgive our sin and has risen to defeat death forevermore. And not only that, he has spoken forgiveness and reconciliation towards us if we choose to trust him, to listen to him with open ears and receive him with open hearts. And so I ask, will you hear and obey his voice today? Will you listen to the call of God's forgiveness which is resounding in the very depths of your soul and respond to him in faith. Let me pray as we close. Oh God, we have heard your voice today speaking to our hearts through the songs we've sung, through the conversations we've had, through the love displayed in this church. And we recognize that we have heard your voice most clearly through the proclaiming of your word. We know that your voice is calling to, calling to us to come and trust Jesus and all come and see your son Jesus in all his beauty and worth. So today, help us to hear your voice. And would you draw us closer to Jesus by the power of your spirit? Oh God, as we have opened our ears to hear the great symphony of your love, as, I, as we have opened our hearts to experience it fully, may we be changed by it. Whether it be through coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, or whether it be empowering us to go and tell people about this good news. Oh God, we love you. And we know that you are with us. We hear your voice today. We declare to you that we love you. We know you can do all these things because we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.